Uh, today, I want you to welcome my good friend. He served on staff with us years ago. Uh, he's been a good friend of mine now for many, many years. And it's just a privilege to have he and Susie back with us today. Will you welcome Mark Perky as he comes to share with us this morning? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Good morning, everyone. So good to be back here in Springfield at the Great Calvary Church. So good to enjoy fellowship with uh, so many friends and so many of you are like, who are you? I don't remember you at all. Well, if you were back here in the early 80s, then we've been able to kind of reconnect and hug you and, and talk about some things. And then the rest of you, uh, I'm still familiar enough. I don't have to fill out a visitor's card, okay? So I, I'm just going to act like I'm home. Thank you, Pastors Mark and Renee. Thank you all for your friendship for these many years. We came on staff at Calvary 35 years ago. I was 22 years old and thought I knew more than I actually did. But I knew I had one job as the junior high youth pastor, which was a position created uh, for, for me, really, as I came. Uh, Oasis ministry under Pastor Mark had grown so large that they needed to take the junior high, the seventh and eighth graders, as I recall, and have their own group and ministry. Uh, and so I knew I had one job. I had seventh and eighth graders we had about 130 of them packed in a school classroom on Thursday nights. My job was to see that they knew the Lord, were filled with the Holy Spirit, and were on fire for Jesus, and send them to Mark J. And that's what the Lord, I think, enabled us to do by his grace, and never had so much fun doing what we love to do. So Susie and I, we are so thankful for our relationship and friendships that we so uh, are thankful for. We just concluded our 84th overseas crusade. And um, so what uh, we heard our friend Greg Mundus talk about today goes right with the, the gift of mercy as we're going to be talking about the mercy of God today. We had several people respond and gave, gave their hearts to the Lord in the first service. And so we're so thankful for what the Lord's going to do tonight. As Pastor Mark said, I'm going to highlight the emphasis and the role of the Holy Spirit, the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if there's ever been a time, especially in our culture, it is imperative that believers are filled with the Spirit. It's just imperative. And so we're going to stress and overemphasize that tremendous importance. And uh, I'll look for you tonight at 6 o'clock. It will be a great, great, great time. I want you to take your Bibles, please, your phone, your iPad, whatever you would use to pull up Matthew 5, 7, if you would. Matthew 5, 7. We're going to talk about for a few moments the mercy of God. And as I said to the 9 o'clock service, if you all will give me a little witness, a little help with the preacher now and then, this will be less than 30 minutes long. If I have to really labor to get this thing preached, it'll be four hours and six minutes. You determine the length of the message as you respond and help me just a little bit. A little amen here and there, and I'll tell you what, we'll all have a great time together as we talk about this most important subject, the mercy of God. Are you there, Matthew 5, 7? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain 
mercy. Father, thank you for your word. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. We give you thanks for what you're going to do in the altars today. This is what we have come for. This is what we have been praying for and anticipating for weeks and weeks now. And we know that today you're going to touch hearts. You're going to move on people's lives as only you can do by the power of your spirit. And we give you praise. And everybody said amen. Amen. Mercy is the first external evidence the world can observe to verify that God is at work on the inside of someone's heart and life. If Satan can remove mercy from the conduct of Christians, the church will cease to exist. If we become so busy with buildings, budgets, and baptisms that we lose our, uh, our, our mercy and compassion for the suffering stream of humanity that flow through our doors, we might as well, without mercy, just close our doors. If there's no mercy in the house of God, then the glory of the Lord is departed. Without mercy, the church is a tree with no fruit. It's a well without water. It's a cloud without rain. Without mercy, the church really becomes more than nothing, more than a country club for religious people. Without mercy, the building should be burned to the ground before the congregation gets sued for false advertising. But the church, we are a healing force in a hurting world. Can you say amen? The church is a hospital for the battered and the broken. It's a fortress of faith in a world of doubt and skepticism. It's a house of comfort where hope is reborn. It's a place of worship where God is revered, where his word is proclaimed, and where Jesus Christ, his son, is Lord over all. That's the mercy of God. Now, mercy, I think you would agree, is very appealing And uh, you don't believe that you really need mercy or you even crave it until you really need it. You'll be leaving the building today and let's just say you just weren't thinking about the speed limit on a particular road getting back home and you just found yours and wow, I'm going to, and then you look in the mirror and there the lights are spinning. Believe me, at that moment you will crave mercy. I've seen Christians immediately have instant revival at that moment. Some will even break into speaking in their prayer language. Others will lift their hands in worship and begin to cry out to God just because they know at that moment they're going to need what we know as mercy. And the more we recognize how desperately we need it, the more appealing it becomes. Now, mercy is very important because of this. We are never more like Jesus than when we are showing mercy. I found some familiar verses about mercy that all of us can identify with. There were 273 scriptures, but I just chose three. Lamentations chapter 3 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. And I love this. They are new every morning. Every morning the page is turned. The delete button is hit. The slate is wiped clean. And mercy is fresh. It's available from the Lord every morning. And then I love Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then in James chapter five, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The reason mercy is so difficult to show in this culture is because we are inherently lovers of self. Selfishness, short circuits, prayer tarnishes everything it touches A man wrapped in himself makes a mighty small package. A man who is self-centered, he's off-centered. Mercy requires that we learn to love others and to value their welfare even at times above our own. 
Mercy manifests itself in many ways in people's lives. A man can have money in his pocket and never show it. They could have the musical skill of a Beethoven and not reveal it. They could have uh, the knowledge of an Einstein and not expose it. But if a man or a woman has the mercy of God operating in their life, they can't help but hide it. It will automatically come out of their heart and out of their life because they realize, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I can see. And they recognize that because of his great mercy, they are able now to extend it in circumstances and times that we need it the most. Mercy is manifest, manifest itself in giving, just like to the project that Pastor presented to you through the Assemblies of God World Missions, through Dr. Greg Mundus in Indonesia. The, the devastation of that is really beyond almost comprehension. When you get into those kind of numbers and thousands still missing, it's hard to even really grasp it. But a merciful heart will respond and do something about the situation. Because again, we recognize if it were not for his mercy, we could be in the same situation. The Bible says that mercy manifests itself in giving. And in Psalm 82, it says, defend the cause of the weak and fatherless, maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Why? Proverbs 21 says, if a man shuts his ear to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. One of my favorite examples of mercy is from a Christian evangelist from the late 1800s named George Mueller. He was walking down the streets of central London. Susie and I have ministered at least 12 times or so in London, held crusades throughout London. And uh, I love that city. And he was walking down the streets of central London when he saw sticking through a picket fence a dirty little hand of a ragged little girl. And at that time... Orphans, lunatics, and criminals were all thrown into one massive compound of human suffering. And that dirty little hand, pleading wordlessly through the fence, would not leave Mueller's mind. He couldn't get that scene off his mind. He went home and discussed it with his wife, and they decided they would do something about it, and they would extend and show an ultimate act of mercy through their own lives. And so they opened up their home to some of the unwanted orphans. They soon filled their house and could hold no more, so they went door to door in every house in their neighborhood and pled with their neighbors, would you join us? Would you open your home? There, there are hundreds and hundreds more. Uh, would you help us? And they began to do it. Every home in the neighborhood was filled with these orphans until the whole neighborhood was overrun with these orphans. And they said that they sold their beautiful silver service and heirloom china. They had received as wedding gifts everything they didn't have to have to live or survive. They liquidated, they sold it, and they began to strip themselves of their own wealth and absolute determination to provide for these unwanted and unloved children. God supernaturally supplied the needs for this couple and likewise, the other neighbors for being responsive to do what God had, had spoken to them to do. George Mueller in his writing said there were many times when we didn't have the, the resources we needed to buy the food because they did all of this, started all of this without one dime from a church or a government agency. All on their own, they took on this mandate. And he said that many times the tables would just be full of the orphans that were just in their home. 
And he said, we had the table set, the plates, the knives, the forks, the spoon, the glasses, everything was set as before, but he and his wife were the only ones that knew there is no, knew that there is no food to put on the plates. He said, every time in faith, he would have the children join hands around the table and he or his wife would lead out in prayer. 100% of the time, before they said amen, there was a knock at the door and God had spoken to a man or a woman or a family and they were standing at the door with loads of food being ready to take in and say, the Lord just spoke to us today. We quickly got everything that he told us to get and we wanted to bring it over right away. We hope it will be a blessing. George Mueller said every single time the knock came before the amen and the food was supplied and the children ate. God did something great. But the frustration set in for George Mueller because his house is full, his neighbor's houses are all full, and there's still hundreds in London. He later established his orphanage in Bristol, England, just northwest of London. And he inquired about a building he saw in central London because it's the best place. It needs to be centrally located in a large metropolitan city. And he saw this massive building, and he's just thinking, oh, God, this this would supply the need for every single child that we could ever need and, and want to help and, and house and educate and feed and clothe. And he inquired about it and the price was so far beyond his reach. Even his friends and closest companions said, George, even you can't handle this. You just need to forget it. We'll keep looking. God will provide something. You don't tell a Christian that there's something we can't do. Don't ever tell a believer that you can't have something for the glory of God. Because I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll believe God. We'll pray and we'll fast and God will give it to us and then we'll use it for his glory. That's what we'll do. You just, what you saw today in the offering of one church for Indonesia is going to be multiplied over hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of times across the United States. And you watch churches are going to be rebuilt without any help from the Indonesian government, I'm sure. And pastor explained why, but you watch, we're going to come out greater and stronger. And even through the atrocities that have happened in this tsunami, the church is going to be built because he said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell and no tsunami can even come against it. Aren't you thankful for the power of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ that is going forth in tremendous power and speedily the gospel is being proclaimed because this is the hour. This is the moment. Oh, I love this. And all of a sudden, George Mueller inquired about the building, was told to forget it. In six weeks, he owned it and closed and began building the most spectacular orphanage England has ever seen in her history. And this all happened at the ripe age of 73 when most men would be concerned with their personal comfort and their retirement. George Mueller was still housing, feeding, clothing, and giving Christian education to 2,500 orphans without one dime of support from church or state. Ladies and gentlemen, that's an act of mercy. Why did he do it? Why did he uh, sell everything? Why did he uh, lick liquidate everything he owned to make it happen because he just had to go back a little ways and remember it was because of the mercy of God in my own life. The least I can do is show his mercy to someone else. Mercy is manifested in several ways. It's manifested in serving. The measure of a man's greatness is not in the number of servants he has, but in the number of people he serves. 
History proves that the only great men among us are those who serve. The Apostle Paul was a servant to God and a servant to man. On the other hand, Nero was a rich, powerful, self-centered monarch that ruled Rome. Well, we name our sons Paul and we name our dogs Nero. So there you have it. Mercy is manifested particularly in forgiveness, in forgiveness. And I'm going to highlight forgiveness for a moment because something happened to a very famous engineer, world famous, Pierre Holm, built bridges, railroads, and tunnels. We have been on some of his railroads in Europe on high-speed trains. We've crossed some of the bridges that he built, and he was very famous and very wealthy, but later came to failure, poverty, and sickness. He returned to the little village where he was born and together with his wife and little daughter eked out a meager living farming a very small plot of ground. What they grew there they had to eat and what they could not eat they would sell. That was their entire livelihood. He was in a difficult season of his life after just coming out of being so world famous as this great engineer. Pierre Holm had a neighbor who had a fierce dog. And Pierre Holm would go to his neighbor lovingly and say, that dog is dangerous. That dog strains every day of its life to break that chain, uh, trying to get over here, especially when my little girl would go out to play. That dog is dangerous. And this neighbor, like a lot of dog owners, would say, that dog wouldn't hurt anybody. He's all bark and no bite, one of those. And then because Pierre Holm was in this difficult season of his life, and had come to failure and poverty and sickness, the neighbor would just say, shut your mouth, you worthless pauper. And that's how he would address his neighbor who was coming to him, asking him to be cautious and careful about the dog. One day, Pierre Holm returned to the house, and his greatest fear had happened. The dog had busted the chain, was over the fence, and was on top of his little girl. I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that's my little girl, that dog would no longer exist, I can tell you. But ladies and gentlemen, he got to that dog. He tore that dog off of his girl, but it was too late. The teeth had gone deep into the neck. And that precious little girl, one of the last highlights and lights of his life, was now dead. The city, the village, ostracized the old neighbor. And they even said to him, as far as we are concerned, sir, you were never born. You no longer exist. They wouldn't sell him food. They wouldn't sell him oil, coal, gas. They wouldn't sell him grain to sow his fields. And so the fields remained empty. And the neighbor began to die a slow death. But Pierre Holm who had every right to be angry, who was grieving beyond description, and who could have easily gone with just the flow of the community and had nothing to do ever again with this neighbor who just called him a cursed pauper most days of his life, he kept thinking, you know, the Lord was good to me. I reached world fame because of the mercy of God. My sins as though they were scarlet, come on somebody, they became white as snow when Jesus came into my life. He began to just reflect a little bit like it's important for us to do very often of where we would be or where we once were when the Lord saved us. 
And all of a sudden, his heart began to go out to this neighbor. The rest of the village said, forget it. We have nothing to do with him ever again. But the fields told the story. At night, when no one could observe what he was doing, he took his last, he took his last batch of seed that was for his fields to take care of his family. He went out into the night and he sowed the fields of his neighbor. And when it came time for harvest, his fields were practically barren and his neighbor's fields brimmed with a lush harvest. And the old man was living, he was breathing, he was surviving because Pierre Home had taken what he had left and he sowed the fields of his neighbor. That's the ultimate act of mercy. And isn't that remind you of what Jesus did in our lives? And what he wants to do in your life. When we didn't deserve it, when we really had nothing to give really to him, so to speak, what did he do? He came and satisfied the justice of God by shedding his own precious, pure, spotless blood on Calvary's cross. And by that precious blood that was shed, if we just come and say, Lord, just forgive me, wash me of my sin, a miracle then happens in our life. Our sins are washed as white as snow. There's no greater miracle on the earth. You could have someone healed of age. You could see someone miraculously healed of cancer. You could see someone come out of a wheelchair and walk for the first time. We've seen it all with our own eyes in our own ministry. But ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing greater than what happened a little while ago in the first service when a row of people stood right here and confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and asked him into their heart and life and to forgive them of their sins. It was the greatest miracle ever known by man and I got to see it again just a few moments ago mercy was manifested in forgiveness when Jesus paid the ultimate price mercy is greater than sympathy because sympathy is an emotion it's often accompanied by tears and Jesus wept but he did far more than weep he acted he went to the cross and died to save those for whom he wept Mercy is also greater than prejudice. Prejudice means prejudging or making an evaluation of others before we know all the facts. Prejudice is a mark of mental, moral, and spiritual weakness. Waiting for the amens to die down. It's so loud in here I can't even hear myself. Prejudice, let's just go a little further. Prejudice is a form of robbery. It robs the victim of a fair trial in the court of reason. Prejudice is also murder. Oh, wait a minute now. What are you saying? Because it kills the opportunity for advancement to those who become its prey. There's racial prejudice, unfortunately, that still abounds and is alive and well in this nation. And we need God, as Pastor said. We need a healing in our nation like we never have. And we need it now. There's economic prejudice. But let me tell you, ma'am, that when you kneel to pray in your designer dress, the housemaid who kneels beside you is also a beloved daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you, sir, when you kneel and fold your diamond-studded fingers to pray, the man beside you whose hands are covered with thick calluses, he is also a child of God and a son of God. 
Jesus was mighty, but he was merciful. It was mercy that drove him from the balconies of a perfect heaven to a sin-saturated earth. It was mercy that moved his heart to demote himself from being the crown prince of glory to becoming the son of a Jewish carpenter living under Roman oppression. It was mercy that compelled him to kneel beside a prostitute and say, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. It was mercy that that merciless religious mob wanted to kill that woman, but the merciful great physician wanted to save her. It was mercy that caused him to place his hand on the rotting flesh of lepers. It was mercy that drove him to the pool of Bethesda to heal a man who had been waiting there for 38 long years. It was mercy that prompted him to raise the widow's son back to life, transforming the funeral procession into a parade of celebration. It was mercy that caused him to weep over the plight of the Jewish people and over the city of Jerusalem. It was mercy that caused him to lay down his life as a ransom for many, making eternal life possible for all who would just believe. It was mercy that formed the words on his blood caked lips, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful this morning for the mercy of God that's been shown in my life. Hallelujah. I remember it like it was yesterday. First Assembly of God Church, Claremore, Oklahoma, little old one-horse town, home of Will Rogers. We had a Will Rogers and a great Sonic drive-in. That's what we were known for, Will Rogers and Sonic. But that's about all we had going for us. But I had a pastor that was a preaching machine. He preached about the love of God every Sunday. And I was sitting at the age of eight on the second row, which was where my parents always planted. And on that second row, I was between them. That was my comfort zone. Nothing could touch me there between them. I was just eight. But when my pastor preached it, the light went on that day. Oh, when you're eight, you don't have a long list of transgressions. You're not on an all points bulletin, anybody looking for you. But I knew the light went on that without Christ, I was lost. I knew it early. I understood the simplicity of the gospel. It was so taught in Sunday school. It was taught in my home by my parents. And I remember feeling like I've got got to get to that altar now. I busted out of that comfort zone and pushed legs aside. And this little chubby, horn-rimmed, glasses-wearing boy went to that altar. I've never been the same since that moment. I remember it like it was yesterday. I can take you one year later at the ripe age of nine at an Oklahoma Assemblies of God kids camp where I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues. I was so hungry for it. I was so hungry. We're going to see it happen just like this tonight because hungry hearts are going to be filled. And I was so hungry. I wanted that gift. I saw it operating in my parents and in other people. And I just want, I was only nine, but I was hungry. I came down to that altar and I'll never forget. A few moments later, I found myself just outside of a tabernacle. I can take you to the spot and draw a circle right now where it happened. The grass and the gravel was kind of a mix. I was laying there on that gravel grass mixture with my hands raised, praying in the spirit as the Lord was calling me to preach the gospel. I'll never forget it. That's mercy. 
That's a God who sent the gift called Jesus so that we could have life and life more abundantly. Man, have I ever lived life and have I ever lived it abundantly. Every day is exciting. Every day is an adventure. Every day is a happy day because I choose to be happy. Happiness is a choice. It's not contingent on bank accounts, on mood swings, or on cultural activities. Happiness is a choice that you make every day that you arise out of that bed. You decide, am I going to be a booger or am I going to be a blessing? You make the decision every day. What kind of husband am I going to be today? What kind of father am I going to be? You decide it every day when your eyes open. It's your choice. I'm so thankful for the mercy of God. I'm so thankful for this fact, and I'll close. The ultimate act of mercy, of course, was through the person of Jesus Christ. And I just went back and read again recently just to refresh my memory on the details, and I won't go into every detail because they are many. But in the Old Testament, within the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. At the top of the Ark was a lid called the mercy seat on which rested the cloud or the visible symbol of God's presence. Two cherubim were on the top of the mercy seat. And uh, that was the place where God was supposed to dispense mercy to man when the blood of the atonement was sprinkled there. And remember how that happened each year. The high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood of those animals that were sacrificed for atonement of the sins of the people. And uh, that's what he did every year on the Day of Atonement. And you can just kind of picture how, how it would happen. And I can, I can, I'm there in the theater of my mind. I'm picturing. How, but in the New Testament, under the new covenant through Jesus Christ, Christ himself is now designated as our sacrifice. We no longer have to go out and sacrifice a bull, a calf, a goat, or a dove uh, to please God and, and to withhold his wrath. We don't have to do that anymore because Jesus became the mercy seat. He is our mercy seat. And he satisfied everything God needed to have done by shedding his blood. Why his blood? Why not the blood of a, of a sacrificed animal? Because his blood was the only blood that was pure and spotless and precious. It had no sin contaminating it because he was born of a virgin. There's a whole nother message here. But ladies and gentlemen, his blood was spotless. And today he offers you his mercy. Who am I speaking to this morning that needs the mercy of God shown to your life? Several this morning lined across this front said, Mark, the message was for me. I personally am in need of God's mercy. Maybe the enemy, Satan, has lied to you and said this. You've, you've committed sin and you've, you've, you've lived this way for so long. His mercy is not going to cover you, I can tell you. That's a lie from the very pit of hell from which it came. Why? Because we just read a moment ago, his mercies are new every single morning. This morning it all started over, brand new, available to all who would just believe. Maybe I'm speaking to someone this morning. You can say, Mark, I once served the Lord. I once gave my heart to the Lord. But, and maybe you've just found yourself getting caught up in working and raising a family and, and making a living. And you've just, your heart though, and you know it better than anyone else, has just grown cold in your love and your, your, your passion for Christ. His mercy is new for you. And every head is bowed just for a moment. And I want to ask two questions 
and then we will pray. First question is, is there anyone under the sound of my voice that can say, Mark, this message was for me. I need the mercy of God in my life right now. Maybe the enemy's telling you, you, you've made this mistake and you've made this blunder and that decision was costly. Forget all of the lies of the devil. Just know this, the Lord is here in his compassion and mercy that we're fresh again today to bring you right into a new and fresh relationship with him. I love the Lord for this. This is not something you can earn, you can never be good enough or go down a list of things you need to accomplish before this happens. No, all you have to do is come to Christ and say, Lord, forgive me. It's absolutely that simple. But is there anybody just by slipping up your hand so that I'll know who you are? I want to pray with you. This was for me. I need it now. Let me see your hand quickly. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Thank you. Who else? Eight. Thank you. I see your hands. You can put them down. Nine. Ten. I've counted at least ten that I can see. Anybody else? Just I'm going to wait just a moment, then I'm going to pray. Don't miss this opportunity. Please don't leave this building not being in right relationship with Christ because he's giving you an opportunity. He has sent you a divine invitation to know him intimately, personally. As past, thank you, I see your hands. Thank you all. Thank you, I see two more. As Pastor Paul Rose a moment ago in his video, it, it blessed my heart. He said, I, I was religious, but I didn't have a relationship with Christ. And I thought how appropriate that video was for this message this morning maybe I'm speaking to someone like I said the first time I'll say it one more time there's someone else you once were serving the Lord but your heart has grown cold you've gotten preoccupied with life and doing other things and yet you know today you're not where you need to be I want to ask you to raise your hand if that's you I'm not going to embarrass you at all thank you I see your hand it's, it's worth asking thank you it's worth taking a couple of extra minutes because I want to make sure Thank you. I see your hand. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. There were many hands. I want to ask one more thing of you. I want to pray for you. This is very important. I know you meant it or you would not have responded. And I thank you for your courage. And I thank you for your heart. That obviously the Lord is tugging at and drawing you to himself. If you lifted your hand. In these last few moments, would you come and stand across this front with me, facing me, so that I may have the privilege of praying with you, would you please? I want our Calvary's prayer team to come and position yourself in the front, facing the crowd. Come on, if you lifted your hands, quickly, quickly. Don't wait on anybody else. Nobody's going to ask you your personal business. We're not going to ask you about your personal affairs, but it's important that if you lifted that hand and say, I need Mark, I need the Lord's mercy today. There's going to be prayer team members here. We're all going to join and pray with you in just a moment. But if you lifted your hand, I want our prayer team to, to get with those that as they're coming. And uh, let's pray. Come on, there were several more. I'm going to wait just a moment. If you lifted your hand, please come. We just want to pray with you. We just want to love you and want to help you. And we can pray with you and show you what needs to happen today in this, in this very special moment. All right, our prayer team members are around you. And I want us to repeat this prayer together and then they will just minister to you in their own way. But everybody in the congregation and here at the altar, would you say this prayer with me and repeat it after me? Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name.
I ask you, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Wash me today and make me clean. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart, God raised Jesus from the dead. He is alive and he lives in me as my Savior and my Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your mercy. I give you praise for it. And I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody stretch your hands toward heaven all over the building here across the front. And just thank the Lord for his mercy, would you? Come on, I should hear voices right now louder than any kind of ball game or any kind of activity happening at any university through the weekend. Our voices, believers, ought to be raised. Say, Lord, I love you. I praise you for your mercy. There's none like you, Lord, in all the earth. You've done what no one else can do. You've paid a price that no one else could pay because you're the only one that truly had the blood of God in his veins because it was pure and it was spotless and your sacrifice was the one needed for all of mankind. And I give you glory and praise in the name above every name. Now come on, lift your voice a little more and somebody give the Lord praise in this house. Father, you know uh, everyone that comes to this altar. You know the ones that came here today to receive your mercy for the very first time in their life. And we just pray for your hand of protection and guidance to be upon them. You know others that just came here for a fresh touch of your spirit today. And we pray that they would feel your strength, your anointing move in their life. And that, Father, they would just be filled with the power of your spirit to walk and to live for your glory each and every day. Tonight, prepare our hearts as we come to tonight. Father, those of us who've experienced this great gift that you give us, Father, let us come tonight to just grow and learn of you. And Father, others who have never experienced this gift, let them discover the fullness of what you have for them. So be upon us today. And Father, we thank you for Mark and Susie and their ministry to us today. We give you glory and honor for all you've done. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Back in, uh, yeah, give the Lord a clap offering. I like that, don't you? <laughs> Prayer teams, I want to really ask you, if somebody, the, the folks who came down today, those of you who came down today to ask Christ in your life, make sure you get your name and information to one of our prayer team members. We have things we want to send to you and get to you to help you in your walk with Christ. We want to help you grow. We've been there. Uh, we know where you're at. We know what the enemy's going to try to do to rob you of this great gift. And we want to make sure that you don't get robbed of it. And so you make sure you get their name to them. Mark, years ago, probably around the time you were here, I went to England for the first time. And, and uh, they drove me by that great orphanage that George Mueller owned and showed me that building. And uh, in one of the churches that I was in, a little old lady comes up to me and we started talking about 
her life and how she'd lived for God all of her life. And I said, how did that happen? And she told me, she says, I'm one of Mueller's girl girls. Now I'd read, I'd read about him, uh, but she said, when I was a baby, I got left on the doorsteps. I said, but they loved me, showed me Christ, and I've lived for Christ all of my life. Here's this little old lady, probably about that tall, telling me about her love for God because as a little girl, these people answered the call of God. When you answer the call of God, you do things that will make a difference for eternity. Don't ignore the call of God. If he tells you to invite somebody, invite him. He tells you to be merciful to somebody, be merciful. He tells you to get involved in ministry, get involved. Do something. Because the fruit of it lasts for eternity. Amen? Father, let us be about your business. As your son was about your business, let us be about your business. And Father, if you should tarry a hundred years, Father, I pray that the fruit of what we do as a people would continue to be born in the fields of this world because of what you do through us here in Indonesia, in Vietnam, in Springfield, Illinois. And Lord, let us be hungry for the fullness of your will in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Love you. Go in the name of the Lord and may his joy be in your heart today.